One of the things, now I'm not a native New Englander, okay? If it's your first time here, I'm not. I'm from Philadelphia, I know. Um, but one thing that I think New Englanders know as good as anybody is um, something about great comebacks. I mean, two of the greatest comebacks in sports history, right? New England sports. I think I was a freshman in college or a senior in high school. The Red Sox, right? You guys had the curse of the Bambino forever. You're down 3-0 in the series. All of a sudden, Dave Roberts steals that base. Big Poppy hits that home run. You guys sweep the rest of the series, sweep the, uh, the World Series. Greatest baseball comeback ever. Greatest Super Bowl comeback ever. I thought you guys were dead in the water, 28-3. It was over. You guys were, were dead as a doornail, in the grave. And old Tom Brady resurrects the team and comes back and wins the Super Bowl for the, come on guys, like the millionth time. It drives me crazy. We got one on you though, right? The Eagles got one on you. But guys, this morning, as we think about great comebacks, I want to talk to you about the greatest comeback of all time. It is Easter Sunday. There is no greater comeback than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing we know is true. Dead men, dead women don't rise. But Jesus did. He conquered the grave, the greatest comeback ever. And that's what we celebrate today, that we have a risen Savior, a divine Savior, a Savior who is alive forever and ever. So turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 8, or 28, sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Guys, if somebody has the black Bible in front of you, please help me with the page number. 835. Excellent. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Let me read that passage for us. I'm not going to speak for a long time this morning, but we're just going to walk through this today and talk about our risen Savior, Jesus. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How would you like to be the other Mary? Right? Mary Magdalene. Ah, by the way, the other Mary. And the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel of the Lord said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, these being the apostles, and go to Galilee, and there they will see me. If a public opinion poll would have been taken, it would have been 100 to 0 about what was going to happen to Jesus. He was going to remain in the tomb. He was dead. He wasn't coming back. Not a solitary person, not even the apostles, would have given Jesus even the remotest of chance. Most of them, all but the Apostle John, ran off, scared to death when Jesus died. Even to his most ardent, faithful supporters, Jesus was defeated. But early Sunday morning, the world would learn that not even death 
to keep Jesus in the grave. The angel of the Lord here said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said he would. Come and see the place where he lay. This morning, I want to share with you about the resurrection of Jesus, but specifically, like most of you know the story, right? Jesus came. He had an earthly ministry. He called himself the Son of God. He died on the cross for our sin on Friday. He was buried and he rose again. But what does that matter? It's one thing to know that. It's one thing to believe that. It's one thing to think that's a great, nice story. But the fact is, is that the most monumental event in all of human history should have a monumental effect on your life. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want you to notice the reaction in this text. What happens to everybody surrounding Jesus when he rises from the dead? What happens after the earthquake, after Mary, uh, uh, the Marys get to the tomb, after the guards see what's going on? Everybody is afraid. They have fear and trembling. Why? Because this doesn't happen. Jesus must be who he said he was because this doesn't happen. It doesn't make any sense. The ladies had joy, but they had great fear. This was a comeback that no one expected. And because it had had never happened before or since, it was fear-inducing, but it was also, listen, life-changing. The resurrection of Jesus changed the lives of those around him. And the resurrection of Jesus can change our lives as well. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, sort of the so what of the resurrection. Okay, Jesus rose from the dead, so what does that mean for me? I'm just going to give you two truths this morning, two simple truths that I want you to take away with you this morning, okay? Number one, what does it really matter? Number one, Christ's resurrection changes the way you should view your life. Christ's resurrection changes the way you should view your life. It should have a holistic change on you from now through eternity. And the first way is it should have a holistic change on your earthly life right now. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior. Maybe you're here today and and you're skeptical. Maybe you say, okay, I I think it's true, but I'm enjoying living for me. It might be true, but it doesn't have any earthly effect on me. Let me encourage you that Jesus' resurrection should change the way that you view your life in a couple different ways. First, if Jesus rose from the dead, your life has value and purpose. Your life has value and purpose. You're not just a speck in time. You weren't created for no reason. You're not just a a meaningless speck in the universe, your life has value and eternal purpose. Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh, came for a reason, and that was to bring his created beings to himself. Jesus cares for his created people so much that he shed his blood and took upon our sin on the cross. You're not meaningless. Your life has value and eternal purpose. Second, if Jesus rose from the dead, then friends, your life, I know this isn't popular, 
but your life should belong to him. In our independent age, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you belong to him. You should belong to him. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is Lord. If Jesus rose from the dead, guess what? He has the right to tell his creation what he expects of them. If Jesus rose from the dead, then it validates what he said previously. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Guess what, guys? No one is getting to my Father except through me. Salvation comes only through Jesus. If he rose from the dead, it validates his claims. John 3, 16, Jesus came so that all who believe in him would not have to perish but have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. And through belief in him is the pathway to eternal life. Jesus said that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. If Jesus is creator, if he's Lord, if he's Savior, if he's the only way to heaven, if he's the only way to God, then your life should be in his hands. Let me ask you, is your life in his hands? Are you living for you or are you living for the risen Savior? Do you just belong to yourself, or do you belong to Jesus? At the end of the day, you belong to Jesus one way or the other, (laughs) okay? Um, Like, he created you, and you're going to answer to him one day, but do you have a relationship with him? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Let me make a strong statement. Only a life surrendered to Christ in relationship through faith is truly a life worth living. He has risen. No one else has done that for you, and you can't do it for yourself. He is worthy of being your Lord and Savior. Is he your Lord and Savior? Believers, let me speak to you for a moment. The fact that Jesus did resurrect from the dead made all the difference in the world for the apostles, right? I mean, nobody was changed more than the apostles post-resurrection. In fact, the change in the life of the apostles is one of the evidences used for the authenticity of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, these guys ran away like cowards. Probably the boss of the apostles or sort of the, you know, the, you know, the number one of the apostles was, was a guy by the name of Peter. Guess what he did the night before Jesus went to the cross? He denied Jesus while cursing at people three times. Eleven out of the twelve, all but the Apostle John, ran away like cowards. They couldn't even bother staying awake when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. These guys failed. They were men, at the end of the day, of little faith. What happens when they meet the risen Lord? Their life has changed forever. They become the greatest ambassadors for Christ ever, along with the Apostle Paul. 11 out of the 12, except for the Apostle John, die willing, brutal, martyrs' deaths for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. All of these guys saw the risen Lord and were forever changed. Listen, people die for things that they believe to be true, but end up not being true all the time. People die over false religions all the time. Nobody willingly dies for something that they know is a lie. People can be led astray, right? There's false religions over the world, all over the world. 
But these guys would know if Jesus is in the tomb or out of the tomb. If he's risen or not. And nobody surrenders their life and dedicates their life for what they know is a lie. The only explanation for the behavior and willing death of of each and every apostle is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And it changed them forever. You know what? Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, not only was that a great comeback, but there's an incredible comeback in the lives of the apostles. They go from cowards, failures, to incredible missionaries. It shows us that if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then guess what, Christian? You can come back from anything that life throws your way. What do I mean by that? Well, because he lives, you can come back from a moral failure. Because he lives and he's your savior, you can come back from marital issues. Because he lives and he's your savior, you can come back from addiction. You can come back from the loss of a job or the loss of all your material possessions. You can come back from depression and despair. Listen, we sing songs about the risen Christ all the time. We sing songs about the fact that there should be victory in Jesus. And we live our lives, Christians, as though he were still in the tomb. We live our lives in in despair, in sin, in brokenness, in all of these things that entangle us. And we live as though he's still in the grave. Friends, Your relationship is with a risen Savior who has freed you in in, or through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It should change the way you live your life. Not even death itself can defeat the Christian. There may be times when you are down, and I'm down, but through our living Savior, we are never out. What does 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9 say? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. No matter who you are today, where you are with your faith in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it should have life-changing effects on you, unbeliever and believer. Number two, Christ's resurrection changes the way you should view death. Christ's resurrection changes the way that you should view death, right? We're talking holistically this morning. Life and death, that's it for us. It should change the way you view life and live your life. It should change the way you view death and who you are in eternity. The resurrection of Jesus has ripple effect in everything. Let me read verses 5 through 10 one more time. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, 
and there they will see me. The resurrection of Jesus should, view, should change the way, make a difference in the way that we view death. Why? Because Easter means that death has been defeated. Not only did Jesus defeat death for himself, but he did it so that the spiritual death in your life can be defeated as well. But how do we know that death has been defeated? Well, again, one of the biggest proofs of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection is eyewitness testimony. Here, right, we're not just supposed to take the resurrection by blind faith, right? It's something that says it happened, but nobody can validate it. You have the Marys that were there. You have all 12 of the apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, what does it tell us? It tells us that Paul saw him on the road to Damascus, saw the risen Christ, and over 500 people, listen, many of which who were probably saying crucify him, crucify him a few days earlier are eyewitnesses as well. Think about this. If we went to the gym, right, and let's just say, now I, I can't do this, okay, but let's just say that I bench press 350 pounds. I have no hope of doing that, okay? But, but let's just say that, I, that you saw me bench press 350 pounds. I'd be pretty proud of myself, right? Just humor me for a second. I know there is no visible physical evidence that I could ever do such a thing, all right? But, I, but I'd probably call up friends and say, dude, guess what I, and nobody would believe me. How would I strengthen my argument? I'd get my friends on the phone that were there. All of a sudden, my ridiculous claim with just one, two, three, or four people validating it, most sensible people would say, well, so-and-so saw it, so-and-so saw it. Must be true, even though it's improbable. Jesus was validated by over 500 eyewitnesses. Several witnesses over a 40-day period backed up the resurrection story. Also, some, some, some further proof is that the very fact that the first eyewitnesses of Jesus were women. Now listen, I'm not a sexist, okay? But just listen to what's going on here. Back then, they were. 2,000 years ago, a woman who was an eyewitness to a crime could not testify in court. Their testimony meant nothing. I thank God how far we've come. And so, if you're making up a story about the resurrection of the Savior of the world, the last thing you would do is invalidate it with details that would be struggling, that nobody would believe. The last thing you do would make would be to make women, at that time, the eyewitnesses because they were not deemed believable. You'd make the most respectable man in the village the eyewitness if you're making up that story. The only way that story makes any sense is if it's actually true. Let me illustrate that for a second. I saw recently um, a baseball that was signed by the 1927 Yankees, okay? Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, all those guys. And one of the... And when, when the baseball was taken to be authenticated, one of the things that the authenticator said as evidence that this baseball was real, that it really was signed, because it was signed on a National League ball rather than an American League ball. Now, some of you may say, so what's the big deal? Everybody knows the Yankees are in the American League. Babe Ruth played in the American League. If you're going to fake a signature, which happens all the time, you're going to be careful and get all the details right so you can really fool somebody. Nobody would devalue the ball 
by having it signed on a National League ball. The only way that that happens is if a little kid is going to the stadium and that happens to be the only ball he's got in his pocket that day for Babe Ruth to sign. The, the fact that the details don't really make sense is actually evidence that it happened, that it's true. Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has risen from the dead. Now listen, unless the Lord comes back first, that does not mean that you will not die. All of us are going to die one day. What we're talking about here is spiritual death has been defeated. That's what the, that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. What does he say? And you have been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, but God who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. Listen, even when we were dead, in our trespasses and sin, made us together, uh, uh, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we are saved. This is the eternal life that God wants us to have. This is, the, this is the reason that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died the most brutal of all Roman deaths, a death that they would not even put on their own bad citizens. It was so brutal did it to conquer the grave, conquer your sin, conquer your spiritual deadness so that like Jesus, you can have eternal life. John eleven twenty five 25 and 26 is one of the most wonderful promises in all the Bible. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is our resurrection. And because of that, though you will die physically, unless the Lord returns beforehand, we can face death with courage. We can face impending death with hope. We can look at our physical death as our graduation to heavenly glory. Do you have that confidence this morning? I'm not talking about a false confidence, but an ironclad one. We can view and face death with hope only if we have been united forever with Christ. Only through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord Only that is how the resurrection and the victory of Jesus gets applied to your life. You can't just say, well, Jesus rose from the dead, so I'm cool. No. We can only have hope that has been applied to you and to me. And it is done so by grace, through faith, in the resurrected Christ as Savior. So as we close today, does the resurrection of Jesus really matter? You bet. 
The resurrection of Jesus should make a difference in how you and I view life. Through Christ, we can have victory, not defeat. We can live in confidence, not fear. We can live in hope and not despair. As the chorus of the old hymn rightly says, we're going to sing in a moment, because he lives, you and I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear, all that fear that I live with and I once had is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. Friends, this morning, he lives. Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Does he reign supreme in your life? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that everything that was done in this service was pleasing and honoring in your sight. Lord, I pray that you would receive our worship this morning. I pray that you would receive our offering this morning as we take it up today. That you would multiply it for your kingdom. Lord, if there's anybody here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today on Easter that you would become real in each and every one of our lives. We would walk away knowing not only that you live, but you live in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.